Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. When in middle school, I moved with my family from the West Coast to here in the Midwest. I encountered quickly two terrors of this region you all live in. One you know well, but it was new to me, which is that at any point when driving, wildlife could jump into the road and you could die. And everyone treated that like that was normal. The other terror though was ticks. And I am sure, well I guess I'm not sure, but I imagine the West Coast has them. I had never seen a tick in my life until I moved here. And I remember several years ago, I was running on a trail on the north side, finished running and I came to a small lake in an opening as a very peaceful setting. It would have remained a peaceful setting if I hadn't looked down and seen more than 10 ticks crawling across my legs. Today, I hope you feel some inner discomfort at that picture I just gave you that prepares you well for the subject that we are encountering in the scriptures today. We are talking about parasites in the church, blood-sucking ticks that want to destroy your faith. The scriptures call them false teachers. It's unpopular to speak of them today, just given the climate. But scripture is very comfortable speaking often of them and using very strong language. It saves its strongest language for false teachers. Paul in this letter that he is writing to the Galatians has been throughout the entire thing primarily dealing with false teachers, a particular brand of false teacher, a species, if you will, known as Judaizers. These Judaizers had come to the Galatian Christians, a young church that Paul had planted and had latched onto them, were trying to burrow in and suck out their spiritual life and in the process communicate to them a disease that would poison and destroy their faith. False teachers are as real and alive today as ticks are. And just like parasites, they are looking, always looking for hosts. Really, they're looking for you. For among them, wrote Paul to his young pastor friend Timothy, are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. You can confirm the claims of Scripture on this point by just turning to any news media outlet. Have you not heard of pastors or religious leaders who use their position of authority to domineer over and to use women under them? You've seen that. Scripture detests that and Scripture predicts that. Peter agrees that this is true of false teachers. He wrote, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. And then he adds another way that they serve as parasites. Quote, they have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They've gone astray. They've followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. And I don't have to tell you that 
most of the largest churches in our country and across the world, not just here, are led by so-called Christian teachers who at this point are not even hiding the fact that they're in it to get money, to get massive amounts of wealth. The prosperity gospel is one of the most popular faces of Christianity in the world today. And its teachers are greedy. And they don't hide that they are. They say they're in it to get money. They fly their private jets in view of all. They tell their flock that's what they're doing. Parasites under the guise of Christianity. Unfortunately, not all false teachers are so obvious. Brothers and sisters and friends, as your pastor... I feel genuinely a heavy burden for every single one of you. When I pray for you, when I think of you, when I prepare a message like this, this is not the tone of a message that I enjoy preaching. But like Jude, I feel compelled to contend and urge you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We can't ourselves talk about the prosperity gospel out there and those false teachers and abusers of authority out there. The ticks are on our legs. They come into our midst. No matter how solid a church is in its teaching, there are always opportunities for false teachers to enter in. They sneak in. They creep in. That's the language that Scripture uses. And even if we'd rather just ignore the fact, it's true. They enter in. And we as your elders and pastors here at Faith Bible Church have committed ourselves under Christ that they will not succeed in drawing even one of you away. Not while we breathe. Not while we live. We will continue to be in careful watch for ourselves and for you. And to warn you. And really it is the work of the Holy Spirit today through the scriptures to offer you warning about false teachers. And it is Christ who is your true shepherd whom we are under as under shepherds. He is the one who holds his shepherd's staff this morning ready watching for enemies. We under shepherds hold smaller staffs, borrowed staffs under him. But all of us together are here to guard, to protect you from error, from the ticks that want to burrow into your flesh and destroy you. And my prayer is that this morning, Christ will crack the head of wolves that maybe already for some of you are finding their way through podcasts or books or interactions with others. We don't encourage anyone to be hypercritical looking for false teachers under every rock, but there are false teachers. And my prayer is that Christ will protect you today using his word. So with that in mind, let's look at what Paul says of the false teachers he was dealing with here in Galatians 4, starting in verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It's always good to be much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. If 
for I'm perplexed about you. They, they, those are the Judaizers. Those are the false teachers. We've already touched upon their theology, the things that they were teaching. These were zealous Jews who had so-called become Christians, even Christian teachers, and they were following Paul, coming to the flock, and saying things like this, you've trusted in Jesus. Good. Good for you. Now it's time to get to the business of really being a faithful follower of Jesus. Paul, he didn't tell you about this. It's good you believed in Jesus, but there are other requirements. Jesus was a Jew. If you really want to be Jesus' follower, you have to become as Jewish as you can, which means circumcision, the sign of being a Jew, and then keeping the law of Moses, which was God's covenant rules for his people. I know Paul didn't mention that, but we're here to complete Paul's teaching. Keep your faith in Jesus, that's fine, but to your faith, add these works. And that is like a spy who puts the smallest amount of a poison powder into a drink and the whole beverage becomes lethal. And Paul has been fighting against a salvation of faith plus any kind of works for salvation. Keep your works out of it. But today, Paul is not so interested in the theology of the false teachers that we've already been considering, but he is looking mainly at their motives, even their method. And he could summarize these as we will today with take. False teachers take. Then Paul presents himself, his own motives, his own method in the ministry as the opposite. He and all true teachers of the gospel give. So we're going to look at this passage under those headings. The false teachers who take, the true teachers who give. In their motives and in their methods. So let's begin here with the taking of the ticks. The blood sucking of the parasitical errorists. See their motives and their methods all contained in just that single verse, verse 17. They make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Just start here with their motives. False teachers, not just these ones, but all of them, they flatter. The psalmist in Psalm 55 pinned them to a T. Quote, his speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. They make much of you, Paul says, of these false teachers. Their speech is smooth as butter. Their words, smooth as oil. They speak well of you. They encourage you. They say they admire you. They're impressed at you. They say that they want to be involved in your life. They care for you. They have affection for you. You're different from others. They're amazed by you. They, he says, make much of you. If you have a New American Standard Bible, the translation is they eagerly seek. They eagerly seek you. That original word that both those translations are referring to is where we get our English word zeal. These false teachers, like all of them, are earnest eager, energetic in making much of you. But, Paul adds, 
for no good purpose. And there, right there, is the matter of motives. Paul has no problem with them making much of the Galatian Christians. Paul has no problem with us energetically making much of each other. We ought to encourage each other, speak well of each other, lean toward each other. In fact, that's what he says here in verse 18. It's always good to be made much of. That's not the problem. If it's for a good purpose, that's the key. Is it for a good purpose, with good motives? And what Paul is saying of these false teachers is they make much of you for no good purpose. I have one booklet in my library by one of the most prominent prosperity gospel teachers in our country. It is only for research purposes. If it wasn't electronic, I would stamp upon it what one of my seminary professors had stamped when she had a work that she was using just for research that was heretical. It said, heresy for research purposes only. But I noticed as I was flipping through this small booklet by this false teacher of prosperity gospel that at the very end, after the main text, there was in the table of contents a section called, we're here for you. So I went over, scrolled over to that ending section. It was an advertisement for their magazine and their broadcasts. But what struck me is, across the top it said, we're here for you, exclamation mark, copyright symbol. And I thought, that's exactly what Paul is saying in verse 17. We're here for you. Copyright that. We're here for you for bad motives, for a profit motive. We're here for you to get something. We're here for you to take something from you. False teachers take they make much of you, but it's for no good purpose. Now, we might wonder, if we return right here to our text, what was in it for the Judaizers? So far as we can tell, they're not like prosperity gospels flying jets. It doesn't seem like they were getting a lot of money. He says that they do this so that you might make much of them, but why? What are they getting out of this? We find the answer, as we'll see later, at the end of this letter, in Galatians chapter 6, if you flip over there and look at verses 12 and 13, we find their motives. Why should the Judaizers be so intent on getting the Galatians to add works, like circumcision, onto their faith? Here's why. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only Here's a motive statement. In order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised don't themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, motive statement, that they may boast in your flesh. The Judaizers' motives, when they say, we're here for you, and they make much of you, their motives were really twofold. And they are the same motives for every false teacher in the world through all time. They alliterate it. It's easy to remember them. They are pride and pleasure. He said that right there in Galatians 6 first, this pride, quote, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You might say, how would... Having them circumcised, let you boast in, them in their flesh. 
You have to understand the context there of the early Christian movement coming out of Judaism when the Christians came and taught about Jesus. The Jews would have probably allowed Jesus as a prophet, somewhat like Hindus today are content most of the time to allow Jesus as one God or one avatar among many. The Jewish people wouldn't probably have had too much of an issue of allowing Jesus to be a prophet But they did have an issue with Jesus changing customs among the Jewish people. With Jesus saying it is no longer necessary to keep the law of Moses and to be circumcised for salvation. That's Paul's gospel. That was the problem. And so, that was the stumbling stone for the Jewish people. And so long as... These Jewish Christian teachers went around affirming the true gospel through Jesus that Paul preached, saying, no, you don't have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. No, you don't have to be circumcised. If you're a Gentile, you don't have to be circumcised. So long as the Jewish Christians were saying that, they would suffer. They would be looked down on by the Jewish people. They would be hated. They would be persecuted. They would not be respected. You may remember that the first Christian martyr, Stephen, he was put to death. Stones were thrown at him until he died by the Jewish people, not mainly because he spoke in favor of Jesus, but because in speaking in favor of Jesus and Jesus' new purposes for this new covenant we partake of, Stephen seemed to be speaking against the law and the temple. He was at least speaking against the necessity of keeping the law and the continuance of the temple. False witnesses rose up, if you remember, and said this about Stephen. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and, here's the key, will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. They were half right. Actually, the Romans destroyed this place. Jesus did not annul the law of Moses. He simply fulfilled it on our behalf. But they were half right. Those were the charges that were given. It wasn't so much about Jesus. It was about the law and the temple. When Paul himself went to Jerusalem and was almost put to death, it wasn't so much for Jesus. It was because in proclaiming the true gospel, he seemed to speak against the law and the temple. The Jews cried out when he was in the temple, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. It says one of my other professors, and surely many other people have observed, one professor, many people have observed, churches are often the same way. Unfortunately, you could have someone come up here and, not here, but in many churches, say some rather odd theology, and you might be a bit disconcerted, but there will be no uproar. But if a new pastor comes in and changes the carpet, or changes the pulpit, or changes the look of the shrubbery out front, then he'll be looking for another church. I guess it's human nature. We don't like our customs to be changed. And so the Judaizers wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to say, yes, we believe in faith in Jesus. So we're Christians. 
But we also want to bring back in the temple, the law, circumcision. Why? Because then our Jewish friends and colleagues and neighbors won't think that we're pulling people away from Judaism. They'll just say, oh, they're making more Jews. And the Jews would love that. They would respect the Judaizers. You're making more Jews. You're going out to these. Okay, they've got Jesus. That's fine. He can be a prophet. That's fine. But basically, you're making Jews. They're just like us. They keep the law to earn a righteousness. They're circumcised. Making Jews of the Gentiles, that would lead the Judaizers to escape persecution. And it would feed their pride. They could boast in their flesh. They could go back to Jerusalem and tell everyone, look at how many Jewish converts we've made who also believe in Jesus. They would boast in their flesh. So when the Judaizers said, we're here for you. Oh, we love you. Really, secretly, the motive was, we're here to use you. We're here to get something out of you. To foster pride. And then, of course, for all false teachers, as for them, pleasure. The end of Galatians, Paul said, they, quote, would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Persecution doesn't feel good. It's not pleasurable. It is suffering. And so the Judaizers are looking for a workaround. How can we be Jewish Christian teachers but get out of this persecution? How can we support our pleasure? How can we even use you to support our pleasure? Easy, make you a Jew. Then we won't be persecuted. Those were the motives for them. Pride, pleasure. As for all false teachers. And notice, it's all taking. Taking. We're here for you. Taking, taking, taking. Those are the motives of false teachers. Now this text also tells us in verse 17 the method of false teachers. We've already seen one half of it. They make much of you. That is, false teachers flatter. But there's also this. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Since the Apostle Paul saw through the hypocrisy of the Judaizers into their inward motivation and what they were really about, they knew that they had to get rid of Paul if they were going to win over the Galatians for themselves. Paul wasn't there in his physical presence. He was elsewhere, but his influence there was strong. He had helped to plant the church. So they knew, as all false teachers do, that true teachers stand in the way. That's the job of true teachers. So if you want to get a hold of someone's heart, first you've got to get the true teachers out of their mind and out of their life. You have to shut them out from the true teachers. And that was the strategy of the Judaizers. Shut out the Galatians from Paul. Cut the affections, the string that attaches them to him. And then we can do whatever we want with these Galatians. They make much of you, but for no good purpose, not for your good. So they come in, to stay with Paul would be for their good. Nope, nope, get rid of Paul, get rid of his influence. False teachers all have developed this rather subtle skill of undercutting true teachers and true teaching, undercutting your confidence in it. Those are the first steps. They've learned this in their own school by one of the greatest, if not the greatest, scholar of their field of study. Satan himself, who in the garden when he approached Eve and went for the kill of all mankind, went to draw her away from the truth and poison the well, what did he do first? 
He knew that he could not touch Eve until he undercut her confidence in the truest of all teachers, God himself. And so Satan did not come out directly and openly saying, eat that fruit. But you remember that he started, did God actually say, you can't eat from any of these trees? How cruel of God to make these delicious trees. God didn't say that. You'll not surely die. God's lying. It's a bluff. For God knows. Here's God's secret motive. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. And God doesn't want that. God is here to keep you down. And as Eve listens, her confidence in God is undercut. Always the wolf comes and cuts the weak one from the back of the flock. Come over here. Come over here. Take a look over here. Just look at the fruit. Just listen to the teaching. Just over here a little bit. You here who have wayward children have experienced probably something of this with grief, with tears. You watch after you care for, if it's a healthy house, you care for and you love your children and you teach them the gospel and you raise them in the ways of God and they get to a certain age and other influences come in. And what do those influences do? They undercut you. The friends, they come in and they say, your parents are old school. Your parents, when they were your age, were having fun like this and now they won't let you do it? Do they really care about you? They're just here to keep you down. It's just about them. It's just about their reputation. First comes the undercutting of the influence and then off they go. First, the devil undercuts your confidence in those who have your best interests in mind. He calls into question the motives. The false teachers have bad motives, but they call Paul's good motives into question. It's a smokescreen. And then when you put your guard down, that's when they strike. It is a bit like a missionary friend of mine. There was a time where he had gone on furlough for a few months. He had left a healthy church, great relationships with these people, came to the States, here for a few months, returns. Not one person in that church would talk to him. No explanation. Finally, he corners one member of the church and says, tell me what's going on. And in his absence, one of the other members of the church had gone to each person in the church and poisoned their opinion of this missionary. That's what the Judaizers were doing against Paul. That's what all false teachers do. They bring down your guard. They undercut your trust in the basic doctrines of the gospel and those who teach them with your best interests in mind. And then they strike and take pride and pleasure, what they're looking for. So there is the first part of our message because there in 17 are these false teachers who take. But Paul doesn't leave us only on that negative note because he's also implied in this whole passage presenting himself as the mere opposite of false teachers. He represents all true teachers of the gospel. And his whole life, his motives, his method can be summarized by give, not by take. Look at this in 18 and 20. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Begin with Paul's motives. 
I believe Paul's speaking of his own making much of there in verse 18. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I'm present with you. In other words, when I was with you way back when, I made much of you, but for a good purpose. Not for a bad purpose. He did what the Judaizers are doing. They made much of them. They said, we're here for you. Paul said, I'm here for you. The difference was in motivation. Paul actually loved them. He says, he made much of them not, quote, for no good purpose, but instead, quote, for a good purpose, verse 18. That was him. His motives were pure. And really, all true teachers of the gospel have a, again, twofold motivation for the ministry they do. Not pride and pleasure. God's glory and your good. God's glory and your good. Look at any teacher. Are those the motivations? God's glory, your good. Those are true motivations. Paul had their good in mind. His words to them were like butter. His heart was like butter, if that's the right analogy. They matched his words. He actually loved them. He spoke well of them and he meant it. He cared about their good. That's why verse 19 begins with that poignant address. My little children. Paul risked all kinds of persecution for these Galatians. He was threatened before he arrived there. He came in sick. While he was there, he was stoned and survived. And afterward, he was beaten again and again and again for the gospel. No prosperity gospel would, preacher would survive that kind of treatment. They'd get a different career. But Paul had a genuine care for them. That's what drove him on. He cared about these people. You see his true affection again in verse 20. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. I'm perplexed about you. Some false teachers use the flock but don't really want to get caught up in the inconveniences of your messy life. Paul says, I wish I was with you right now. There are other false teachers who like to manipulate and make use of people beneath them. They like to rebuke and be cruel and Paul says, look, I'm rebuking you, but I wish I could change my tone. Why? His motive was genuine affection and love for them. He wasn't looking out for his own pleasure. He wasn't looking out for his own pride. He wanted, secondly, God to be glorified. Look at this in verse 18. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I'm present with you. And what he means is, I don't have a problem with other teachers coming and investing in your life. I don't have a problem with you appreciating other teachers. I'm not territorial. I don't need you just to be, I'm of Paul. In fact, when that happened in the church at Corinth, when there started to be division, some were saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. What was Paul's response? He said, I want nothing to do with that competition between church leaders. Nothing to do with that. Was I crucified for you? Was Apollos crucified for you? You are of Christ. There's not pride in his heart trying to get an audience like the Judaizers. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos, this other eloquent, great teacher. He watered, but God gave the growth, God's glory alone. So neither he who plants, me, nor he who waters, Apollos, is anything. We are nothing, neither of us, nothing. Great teachers of the church, including our brother Keller, and he would say the same. 
We are nothing. They are nothing. God gives the growth. Paul's total motivation and focus is the glory of God. Only God who gives the growth is anything. Paul's not motivated by pride. He says, I don't care if people make much of you and if you make much of them. I don't care. I just want the teachers to be true teachers, not false teachers trying to destroy your faith. True teachers care about God's glory and true teachers care about your good. Those are their motives. And that brings us to the conclusion of this message and our final subpoint: the method of true teachers of the gospel. Verse 19, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. True teachers don't reach out to you to take. True teachers give and give and give and give. Paul said, fathers don't, fathers take care of their children. Children don't take care of their fathers. Well, give. The metaphor here is of labor, child labor. The pain of giving, the essential, the great picture of giving that childbirth is. It is agony. It is painful to give life to a child. And Paul says, that's what I'm doing for you. I don't need anything from you. Paul often worked when he went and preached the gospel because I don't need your money. He supported himself. He gave generously. He came in. He was sick. I don't need you. I'm here to give, even to agonize in giving to you. I would ask you, the teachers that you listen to, the theologians you look up to, the podcasters, those who are Christian influence in your life, do they have a cross upon their back? If they do not have a cross upon their back, do not listen to them. I know that we who are Americans, the reason we fall prey to the prosperity gospel so easily is because we like when things are well put together and the guy has the nice suit and there are bright lights. It's very fancy. There's a lot of wealth behind it. The hair is nice. The shoes are expensive. We like that. We are drawn to that like flies to their death in a fly trap. And Paul says, super apostles like that, who cares? They're just going to take so they can pay for their sneakers. Those who are the greatest Christian influence in your life, the teachers, we hope that we elders have been an example of this to you. So even if you move on or we die, whatever, you will have not only in the apostle Paul and the scriptures, but even in our own conduct, the idea in your mind that true teachers will suffer for you, that true teachers will give they will go and meet with you. They will not ask anything in return. They have a cross upon their back. It is true that Christ carries the heaviest part of the cross for all of us. But right next to Christ ought to be we pastor, elder, teachers. And we carry the next hardest part. And then you carry the rest. True teachers give, they do not take. We don't walk around miserable. Say, well, teachers, oh, miserable. We're carrying such a heavy cross. We walk around with the most joy because the outcome of our labors, the reward of our work is not anything you can give us. It is that Christ is formed in you. And if Keller was right, this week even, as he spoke to those by his deathbed saying he wants to go and see Jesus. Just let him go and see Jesus. If that is the essential longing of our hearts, to see Christ in his glory, as Jesus himself prayed we would do, to see him in his glory, 
then what greater joy can any of us have than to get front row seats to see more of Christ's glory in your life as you suffer well and love those who are difficult to love and take initiative in meeting others' needs and enter into messy circumstances out of love and give generously and sacrifice when you look like Christ, when we see even within you Christ is being formed in you. You start here, and by this point, there is more of Christ clear in your countenance, clear in your behavior. That's why we leaders love to give. And all true leaders love to give. Our reward is to see Christ formed in you. And so our appeal as leaders of this church to you and my appeal to you is don't be taken in by those who take and therefore look great, happy, smiles all the time, very smart, super apostles, Judaizers, don't give in to them. Stick with those teachers who are weak, who are frail, who suffer as they walk on the path that Jesus Christ walked. Follow their example of suffering unto glory. And may none of us have parasites dug into us. And if they are, may Christ, even now, take his tweezers and pull them out. And may all of us be brought very safely to the shore of heaven. <laughs>